I'm seizing the day, my friend, very focused. Seize the day, um, love it. Seize the day. Congratulations on um, tomorrow's strategy, co mate. Thank you. It's uh, been, uh, been a bit of a journey to, to launch, but I've now launched Tomorrow's Strategy Co. And I'm uh, really, really excited to, to tell the world about it. Um, and also, you know, speak with people like yourself about the potential of where it could go. I, I love it, dude. I mean, it just talks to so many things I'm interested in. I mean, not only the work that you're doing, but people who have the... Um, audacity to start their own thing and then and then especially people who are interested in talking to me about it as well so you might you've got all my love and support and i can't wait to uh, see how the adventures unfold um so thanks for making the time today man um uh, i don't normally fluff around with big introductions as you know um i just get like, like to get straight into the bolt, nuts and bolts of it so on my mind is this um and it's guided by some of the questions we had in preparation so um you know how companies would invest in a sales department or a marketing department? It blows my mind that they fail to invest in innovation departments. Um, I'm intrigued. Your background is in this. Why is that? Why, why do organizations fail to invest? Or is it they fail to see the value in investing? What's the situation there? You're absolutely right. And my previous experience as head of innovation and head of strategy and innovation made me realize that you do need a dedicated function to look after innovation. Uh, yes, we want everyone to be innovative and we want everyone to, to really understand the customer and understand the problem, but ultimately there's a skill set. There's a skill set to know how to unpack a problem. There's a skill set to know how to empathize with a customer, interview customers, go deep on a problem, um, really start to develop a proposition, test that proposition. Um, and really, the, the best way to do that is have a dedicated team, um, a team that's still embedded within the, the organisation. Um, I don't like it when they're sitting away from the organisation. I truly believe they need to be in the organisation. Um, they need to be aligned with the company strategy. They need to be aligned with solving some of the big business problems and customer problems related to that mm -hmm. organisation. Um, mm -hmm. One of my mentors and previous uh, bosses always talked about the need to actually have a, a skill set and innovation is a skill set. So having them as a dedicated resource, having a team in, inside the organization looks at innovation, I believe is the way companies should be operating. Innovation is a skill set. It's to unpack a problem. It's to have empathy. It's to go deep and it's to test a proposition, right? That's, that's what they do. I guess my first question is why don't organizations invest in that? Um, distinct from what they do, these the skills. Why not? I think they're they're short term view. They're looking at how do they make money now? How do they improve their bottom line? How do they increase market share? Sometimes innovation doesn't achieve that in the short term. But that's why you need to commit to it. You need to commit to the long term. You need to really believe in the team that they will develop a proposition that will find product market fit that will scale. But if, you do, if you're still looking at, you know, calendar, calendar year budgets, if you're looking at has the innovation team return, had a return on investment in six months, 12 months, well, that's not going to deliver. That's not going to actually achieve what an innovation team can do for the business longer term. Some of my biggest achievements have been propositions that haven't gone to market, but we've learned through that process not to launch not to spend a million dollars on buy, building or buying something when 
maybe traditionally some teams would have said, okay, let's go and spend a million dollars to try and build this, but have never thought about the customer, have never thought about the real problem underneath that. Um, whereas my team actually unpacked that, understood that that wasn't a problem that we needed to solve. It wasn't something the customers were interested in. And so we didn't spend the million dollars. <clears throat> now, is that a good thing for the organisation? Absolutely. And more teams should be doing that than going off and spending a million dollars without knowing if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you're talking, it's reminding me of... Um... I'm pretty sure it's good to get great Jim Collins um, talking about um, preserving the core of business and then innovating around the edges. Um, and I've always wondered about that. Does, does the innovation need to be closely coupled to core in your experience or can it be? I, I think I've always had the assumption it should be so, you know, it re- retains resonance with the organization. So this is an assumption, um, yep. but but what you've just made me think is that it could be out out of this um, atmosphere into you know way off in space type innovation. Like what what what's your view on on that? Um, does it have to be coupled or can it be way off? I do believe it needs to stay close to the core of the business, um, mainly because it's a great way to demonstrate value back to the business. Um, we always talked about an innovation funnel. So how many how many propositions could you put in the funnel? Um, how many propositions can you start to develop and evolve and test and learn? <clears throat> because not all will come through the funnel. Not all will find product market fit. Not all will scale. But the more and more you put into that funnel, the more chances you have of actually achieving that success and scaling and driving new revenue streams and new growth opportunities. So Staying closer to the core and aligning initiatives to the company strategy, I think is very important. Um, yes, innovation teams can go off on tangents and can um, you know, be creative and disruptive on how they think. But ultimately, I think that the best teams are the ones that deliver on helping the companies to grow and improve through innovative thinking, through innovation, um, you know, holistically as well. So I do think they need to stay closer to the core. Mm-hmm. They need to demonstrate how they're, they're continuously de- developing those propositions uh, and also following, you know, a, a really good um, methodology and process. Um, it's not sometimes the sexiest things. Um, and I've done a few spe- uh, speeches and presentations in the past where I talk about innovation governance and sticking to a process. Um, in my previous role, we, we had a 16-week internal accelerator and we were very strict on staying within those 16 weeks. Every two weeks, sprints, every four weeks, showcases and following the design thinking process from empathising and understanding the, the problem and the customer right through to a proposition and hopefully a validated proposition. But those guardrails, that, that freedom within the boundary was so important and the process of following that process was also critical to the success of a lot of those propositions finding product market fit. Mm, mm. I mean that's um prompting a whole raft of questions. <laughs> so yeah, I know, right? Uh, how many hours have we got? I think we I think I booked this in for three days. Um, <laughs> good thing is I love talking about it. So you've got me for as long as you want me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Good news, mate. Good news. Um, 
one of the questions I, ha I had around this is, is how executives get that done, how they create an innovation department, right? And, and I think you've just talked about um, having uh, an innovation um, funnel, um, staying close to claw, um, having a methodology and a process, um, having good innovation governance. Now, so I recognize now the link back to the beginning of those skill sets, right? Uh, it, it feels like, I mean, I have friends who've worked in innovation departments or venture departments and, and obviously other friends in executive positions. It feels like a big, I mean, it seems obvious and logical, but it also feels like a big step, a quantum leap. It also feels brave, I think, for um, an executive to say, I'm going to form an innovation department. Um, like, sorry, I, mean, I want to acknowledge everything you've said, but but how do they get it done? How do they get it done with not like taking on the risk of trying to look too cavalier, too right. too entrepreneurial? Because some of these words have taken on, I think they take on negative connotation sometimes. Yeah. Like so, so let's just imagine we're talking to an executive of um, company ABC. Um, like what what would you be saying to them to go look? This is how you're going to get it done, and this is how you're not going to get fired by getting it done. Well, I think understanding what the company's overarching company strategies is really important and obviously tomorrow strategy code my company talks about let's understand that company strategy let's refine it let's evolve it let's rethink about what the company strategy is if we know what that is we can use innovation to deliver on that company strategy do you set up a team do you bring in external support do you partner do you create something yourself do you create a ventures arm all of these things are ways of achieving, hopefully, the greater ambition of the company. Um, a lot of the approach there is also about how do you find some of the best talent within your, your organisation, cross-functional, multidisciplinarian teams, bring them together, make sure there's some good leaders that are, that are going to support those teams, create the, create the boundaries, allow them some freedom within those boundaries, and then allow them to actually be freed up to create something impactful, creative, innovative. And it, and it needs to be a proposition to start with. Once that proposition is found, once the proposition has been validated, both through customers, through stakeholders, those sorts of things, that's when I think you can lead to a venture. That's where I think you can lead to, let's go and build it. Let's go and either acquire it or build it or buy it, those sorts of things. So that's where the venture side comes in. I think the venture side is complementary to the innovation team. They are set essentially a team that could scale up a, a, a proposition. Um, so that's very much how I think they can work together. Um, executives need to be braver. I think we're, we're lacking Australian leaders, executives that are going to be brave and take these companies to the next level. We need, uh, we need more ambitious leaders. We need leaders that believe that they can drive new growth, um, uh, drive new revenue streams and those sorts of things. And, um, unfortunately, we're lacking. We're lacking those leaders uh -huh. across across uh -huh. all industries. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I mean, not to put you on the spot, but uh, to put you on the spot, who who do you look when, when you're looking to inspiration in Australia or, or beyond your choice? Who do, who do you think is doing this well? Um, I'm, I'm I think one of the things I've learned from you, Dan, is that um, it's all well and good having one-off innovations, but it's the long-term commitment 
and investment in innovation that's important because you didn't say this, but you made me think you're only as good as your last innovation. I, I know that's not quite true, but, but that's what makes me think. Um, so, you know, who, who do you think's doing it well at the moment? It's such a tough question. Um, I mean, I, I do admire um, some of the large, larger organisations that have tried this, um, but none have stayed the course. So, you know, I, I should acknowledge that maybe Combank, you know, CBA are doing this well. Um, they've, they've gone and had an innovation function. They've closed that down. They've gone now to more internal ventures. Um, I think that approach is, is going well, but they need to double down on it. They need to really stay the course with some of those ventures. Um, I always look to potentially Asia because I, I really love some of the brands out there. That, um, you know, Obviously, some of the tech firms always come to mind, but these are tech firms that are really committed to innovation, ventures, new growth opportunities, and they can, they really stay the course. You know, Tencent and the other big brands in Asia, they really, they believe in it and they back it. Um, Grab is another one in Singapore that have diversified from, you know, being a taxi share company to lots of different extensions. And they really, they, they just back the, the innovation and they really stay the course. Um, and it then delivers. It's almost like that whole philosophy of, you need to lean into it as hard as possible, go through some of that pain, have some failures, have some propositions that didn't find product market fit, but eventually they will. And that's where that funnel sort of comes back to eventually one will drop out and it will be a great success. And everyone will be saying, isn't that an amazing brand? Look at how much success they've had. But they've probably had six or seven or 10 failures or, or propositions that didn't actually find that product market fit. I'm glad you picked um, Tencent. I was um, I was just um, decompressing last night, playing a bit of PUBG, um, player unknown battleground, and I was very proud of myself. Not played for a year, and I still managed to come, um, you know, win a win a chicken dinner, top of the roost. Uh, my kids asked me. They said, which came first, player unknown battleground or Fortnite? Um, do you know which one came first? No. I, I, I want to know who the innovator was. Uh, was it Tencent or, or, or Fortnite? Um, sorry, PUBG or Fortnite? I, I don't know. Um, what, 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 why do they fail to stay the course? Like, what's the story? Short-term views, um, uh, change of leadership, um, an executive saying, well, what's the return on investment from that innovation function? We haven't seen anything come to market. So yes, but again, if I bring in my earlier story, they didn't spend tens of millions of dollars chasing after a, a proposition that wasn't going to work, wasn't going to scale. So maybe there's a, a re, you know, maybe we need executives to not just think about the, the ones that, that are successful. How have they saved money? How have they saved the organisation money? How have they gotten closer to the customer? Those sorts of things. So maybe there's a, a rethink on, you know, how successful innovation teams and functions can be isn't just about increasing revenue and those sorts of things. Is there a... Um... Is there a club for um, leaders of innovation and leaders of ventures uh, within organisations? Do you guys have a secret secret place where you go and hang out together? Um, <laughs> well, I, I did create um, at uh, Tal, which is a, a life insurance company. I did create the Innovation Society a few years ago. Um, oh, nice. a, very, a, a very secretive club that anyone that applied got in. 
Um, but you had to know about it. You had to know about it. Um, we didn't have any secret handshakes, but um, everyone that applied, we we allowed to come in because it was about you know sharing sharing learnings, doing some case studies, talking about innovation, um, profiling different companies, bringing in some guest speakers, um, and also you know annually we at the very start we did an innovation challenge, um, but then we realised that while it really encouraged um, innovative thinking across the organization, what we were doing is we were creating too many, too many ideas. And isn't that ironic that um, an innovation challenge really engaged the, the, the team and the employees of, of the organization, but ultimately created almost too many ideas for the team to be able to develop and move forward. So there, there's pros and cons to doing innovation challenges within organizations. Mm. Um, I think if you're going to do it, you have to have really good thought about what's the output. Um, is there going to be budget to actually fulfill and deliver and, ex and, and expand on some of those ideas that were presented? Because the worst thing that you can do is um, you know, put a lid on the, the engagement and the enthusiasm that some people bring to those, those, you know, those innovation challenges. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I ran into an executive recently who's at another big organization and had an innovation challenge and it's not Tal or anyone else we've mentioned so far. And um, he was leaving that organization because the innovation that he'd come up with um, and um, one was a genuine game changing innovation. Um, and he was like, I'm just done after this. I want to leave because it's shown me that this organization yeah. is not committed to innovation because the the funding actually went to something which was a more cynical increased tactical revenue. Um, well, not yeah. really innovation. It was just like it, it, it was a cynical play, if that, if that makes sense. It was an optimization play, not an innovation play. That's what he was saying. So I can spend the rest of my life here, but it's never going to innovate. Uh, I, I guess that comes to the pros and cons that you were talking about. What, what are the what are the pros and cons do you do you identify? Yeah, you know, that that's definitely you know that, that's there, and part of the challenge is you have talented people within organisations, and if you can't harness that, they will go somewhere else. They want to be challenged. They potentially might take less money because they know that they can go somewhere and they'll be listened to and they'll be engaged in a, in a process or a new a new initiative. Um, you know, I think there's an opportunity to think about innovation internally and, and ventures on how could you potentially spin out an innovation? You know, how could you go through a process to develop a, a new initiative, create value to your stakeholders, find the product market fit. But if a team has delivered that and created that internally, why not look at a, a spin out venture? Why not look at, okay, we've got a team here that have, de have developed this from nothing right through to something that customers are saying, they'll buy, they'll, they'll engage with. Why don't executives think about that as, well, how could we spin this out? Could we actually be a, a key investor in this, in this business? Ultimately, the, the great thing that corporations have over startups is they've already got the distribution. They've already got a, a brand, they've already got customers. It's a great way to spin out a, a venture, you know, gain market share in that space. Um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but that, that just came to my mind that it's like, we, in Australia, we don't do that. I've seen it happen in Asia. Um, I know in Japan, I've, I've been exposed to a company that's done that. They've, ex they've, they've had someone internally come up with something amazing and they've backed them to go and spin that out of the company. It's funny you say that because it's one of my greatest regrets, uh, Dan, for my last company that um, as um, 
um, on entrepreneurial founders that we tried to go on our own. We tried to create a business um, of a, a, a medical device, right? um, hardware, software, and distribution was the was the problem. In fact, Ooh. we fought so long for distribution that you know I, my my time was done after four years. I couldn't afford to keep on going. Um, yeah. Whereas if I'd had the wherewithal, I possibly would have gone in uh, with a, a, a venture group earlier and shared yeah. the wealth earlier and been more giving as opposed to thinking I had to do it myself. Yeah. And I think that's my lesson from um, entrepreneurialism and venturing in my and funding my own my own businesses was I should have done it that way. Um, and taking a, a, a smaller slice of a bigger pie with established distribution. Um, so it, it really lands. It really lands for me. Um, the I, I want to ask about um, you, you mentioned Tal before, um, and you know we're talking about options for when you see innovations and how you spin up ventures. And have you got an example of something that you that you know? I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to, to to put you you know in the spotlight here, but but if it does that, then so be it. Like, what was the thing that you saw? That you're proud of that you think at Tal that really you know ch changed the game for them in terms of an innovation and the clever commercial models behind it just as a case study on what someone could do have you got an example for us i've got plenty of examples um but one that comes to mind and i, I will acknowledge that great leadership support from the top all the way yeah. through the organization um even though they're a life insurance company and might not seem the most innovative company or industry, they absolutely were. And I, and I loved my time there and um, great senior support all the way from the executives, et cetera. Um, we had the governance, we had the structure, um, we always brought cross-functional teams together. Um, but one of the problems that we were facing, or the, the business and the industry was facing, was around the challenge that um, mental health claims were, were increasing and are still increasing. Um, and the problem was really, well, do we even understand this? Why is it happening? Um, do we understand the, the data behind it? Do we understand why these claims are starting to come through at, a, at an increased rate? So we did the analysis. We understood what we thought the data was. But then we went and started talking to customers and those that had, had claimed and, and, and gone on different um, policies, taken out policies, but then also claimed. And it wasn't about saying you're not allowed to claim for mental health reasons. It was about what happened in your life that brought you to this point. And what we worked out is that most people don't understand where they sit on a spectrum of their mental well-being. Are they thriving and are they doing well and they probably will never have challenges or, or are they right down this other spectrum of they're struggling and they need support and those sort of things. But so no one really knows where they are on this spectrum. And if you're, if you're listening to this as a podcast, I'm using lots of hand gestures because it's, there's a sliding scale of, you know, am I thriving or am I somewhere in the middle and I just need some prompts and those sort of things or am I struggling and do I really need support? And what we found is that, again, through speaking with industry experts, looking at the data, look, speaking to customers, is, is that people didn't know where they sat on that spectrum, where they sat on that scale. So by making people more aware of their mental well-being, using um, simple ways to make people more aware of it through different you know, tools and techniques, people were more aware of their mental well-being and how to improve it or how to change their, their, their struggles, struggles that they were facing. So that led us to developing a proposition that we piloted with one of our super funds. 
Um, it went out to, I think, about 15,000 people, that, that first initial pilot, and it was hugely successful. Huge take-up, lots of interaction. We've partnered with the Sydney Brain and Mind Foundation through Sydney University. Um, so there was a de-identified data sort of capture around um, people interacting with this tool. Um, it became one of the largest studies around mental well-being from a commercial wow. point of view. Nice and then we, yeah, <laughs> and then we, then we thought, wow, okay, so people are interacting. People are actually starting to find out where they sit on this spectrum. People are utilising some of the tools that we were recommending. We didn't go and build the tools. We just recommended other tools. And then we said, well, if we've done it with one super fund, which Tal was a part of, why don't we offer it to 20 super funds? And so that's where we went from a pilot to a scale operation. Uh, we pushed it out. We started to offer, we started to explore other ways of finding out where people sit within mental wellbeing and wellness and those sorts of things. And yes, COVID then came along and um, you know, the numbers changed dramatically. Um, mm -hmm. I did leave at that point, I left Tal. Um, but I know that that program headline is still going and it's very successful. It's it's not about trying to change revenue and those sort of things. It's about making people more aware of their mental well-being. And ultimately, if they can improve it, um, those sorts of things, maybe longer term there'll be less claims around mental, well, mental health or, or those sorts of things. So it did have a business objective, but ultimately it was about trying to realise where people sit within that spectrum and how can they improve their mental well-being. I mean, firstly, it sounds like a very worthwhile program of work, and I, I'm actually not sure. I mean, I, I sit obviously firmly in brand marketing, business creation. I, I hadn't really seen that lauded um, by Tal. Uh, um, I, I mean, I, I actually just to, as full disclosure, I do no work with with Tal at all, so this is completely objective. Um, I'm just not so sure they ever hit my radar as an organisation that had that commitment. I've, I've seen friends go through there, by the way, and, you know, they speak well of the organization, yeah. but it's really, it's really interesting from that perspective. It makes me think about the partner you work with. Um, do you mind me asking who was the partner and did they have to have an appetite for innovation as well? I mean, how did you get them on board with this? Uh, as in the superannuation fund? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who, who is that? And do they have to have an innovation department too? And do you guys talk at your innovation society club or how, how, how did that happen? Well, it, it was uni super to start with um, and they were a great partner. Um, believe it or not, you know, uni super has uh, members that um, well-educated, obviously work in you know, education system. Um, but there was an understanding that their face teachers and people in that industry are facing lots of challenges. Um, so we identified that they were a, a partner that may want to participate in it. And again, it took a little bit of time to sort of present the proposition and work through what, what it would look like from a from a launch perspective. But we also presented as a, well, this is a pilot. This is a first off attempt at it. We've made it really simple for people to fill out an online um, survey and tool. Um, we really prided ourselves on having making sure the data was de-identified and all the, all the response and those sort of things. That's why we've also partnered with Sydney Brain and Mind. Um, and it was, again, they, they had to be willing to, to go down that journey with us to be the first super fund to do that. Um, but they, they, they embraced that, they, they took on that opportunity and then you know, probably were a leader in that, that area because they were the first to do it. And then obviously we've gone, or Tal went and offered it to other super funds. Um, but yeah, it does take 
brave bravery from a brand perspective to, to want to even play in that space, you know, talking to people about their mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to do a fact check in it. Unisuper are performing quite well at the moment, aren't they? Very well. Yep, absolutely. Um, I wonder if that's, um, I, I would love to think that, I mean, obviously we're an innovation company. I would love to think that those things are connected, that that focus on customer, focus on member base. Um, and, and again, full disclosure, I do no work with Unisuper either. I feel like everyone we're going to talk about, I do no work with. So, um, <laughs> But, but obviously I have an eye for the market and I, I you know, I, I'm, the reason I do this is I want to work with firms that are doing something, right? I want to work with people like you who are doing things and taking a stand on things um, and uh, generally around purpose. So I, I find it fascinating. The, the, the reason that I'm just going to go back a couple of questions and, uh, you know, again, we could get lost here for days. The reason I asked about, um, your clubs and which you had your innovation society which you should start again by the way and i want to join just so you know Um, it was yeah please do you know i think it's great it's about those people that you know haven't yet gone and created their own business who are in um, innovation leadership roles or um or venture leadership roles how do they weather the storm of tactical focus and changes yeah. in leadership. What observations do you make about that? And how do they, how do you think they, they could weather the storm now you're on the outside? Well, I think they've got to be thick skinned that, you know, you've got to roll with the punches. You've got to also believe that what you're doing is going to deliver for the business, for the organization. Um, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Love that saying, um, you know, I think, Innovation and, and venturing is one of the best parts of business, um, but you have to really believe in what you do. You have to go through those ups and downs. Um, you need to go through lots of people saying that's never going to work or that's a no. We've mm-hmm. tried that before. You've got to you've got to have a thick skin, but you have to ultimately believe that what you're doing will be better for the company, will be better for the organisation, will be better for the individuals, the customers, and your teams. And I loved working with groups of people that believed in those initiatives and those causes. And ultimately, you're then, you have a better work environment. You can achieve a hell of a lot more. Um, I love debate and discussion. And that's where I think you need to have a a multidisciplinarian, um, multiverse team working on these problems, Um, bringing some outside in thinking um, is also a really a great way to explore new territories, um, you know, challenge challenge all your assumptions, challenge your assumptions on everything, um, but also stay the course. Stay the course because, you know, when you stay the course, the, the really great things come, come off the back of it. How important is being political? How important is, and not the negative side of Machiavellian, I think actually there's some attributes yeah. to being Machiavellian, seeing the patterns, seeing how it plays out. How important is that? And when and when I think Machiavellian, it's not just about politicking. It's also the data points to prove, you know, what, what's happening. How, how how important is that? Well, maybe I'm not the right person to ask that because I I've always been known as <laughs> to be known as an agitator. Um, it's something I I just love to do because I I believe when I'm talking to customers, when I'm understanding the problem, that maybe I'm coming from it 
with that in mind. So I like to agitate if people are saying you can't do that or we don't have the budget to do that, or we don't believe in that. So I'm happy to back my judgment, back my team's understanding of the, the problem that we're, we're looking to solve. Um, yes, you do need some support. You need some sponsors across the organisation. You need to really understand what the business objectives are, what the company strategy is. If you're going off on a real tangent, I think that's where you risk isolating your team or yourself. It's funny, I saw um, I saw something yesterday from like an organisation that I, I guess would be considered one of our competitors. And um, they were talking about innovation, but with not a customer in sight. And I yeah. found that uh, I found that fascinating. And and now just linking this to what you're saying about you know organizations trying to innovate without the customer in the room or in in sight, as they as they said. Yeah. Um, I, I can't recall where that came through. Maybe it was maybe it was um, Scott Middleton from Terum or someone like that, whose whose work I, I I don't know those guys, but I, I like what yeah. I see of them or hear of them anyway. Um, what, do you have a view on that? And how come you're mentioning customers so much? Like you know, I mean, I. I'm always looking at what are the customers thinking, saying, doing, um, where are they spending their money, those sorts of things. Um, just before this conversation, I, I'm working with a Windows manufacturer and I said to them, well, I, I want to speak to some of your customers, your suppliers, your, your manufacturing partners. And they said, okay, what does that mean? I said, well, I want to know what they think of you. What are you doing well? What are you not doing well? What could you do to improve? Um, so, I literally spent the last half an hour speaking with an architect about what do they think of the Windows manufacturer. And straight away, some of the comments that he said was, they could do this better, they could do that better. Um, have they thought about this? Have they thought about that? And wow, like mind blown, hadn't thought of those areas. I'll take, I'll synthesize that down as, as, long, as well as some other conversations I'm having. And I'll take that back to the client and I know that they will be surprised by some of the comments. Um, I had another conversation earlier in the week with a with a different supplier. He was really really positive, and I said, well, "Okay, well, what could they do in this area?" So I, I asked those questions because I think having a a customer view of of your company, your brand, your products is really important. Um, mm -hmm. And if I come back to why I think it's important, it, it also stems to if you can take that information and you can synthesize it across lots of conversations you've got a greater ability to have a conversation and, and challenge a senior executive around, I know this problem better. I understand what the customer wants from this brand or what they believe their problem is or what their challenges are. So it, it puts you in a position of strength when you're having a conversation with a senior stakeholder. I've spoken to 20 customers, 200 customers, those sorts of things. How can they argue with, with that when you're saying, I've just come from, a series of conversations with customers and they said this. Hmm. An executive would actually, it would be there, they, they wouldn't have uh, the right to say you don't know the customer or you don't, you, you're coming from hmm. a, a position of, of not strength. So, hey, that's why I always talk about the customer. I think that is such a powerful uh, insight uh, in terms of leverage. Um, but also understanding, you know, it's like um, it's having knowledge and wisdom, you know, and then, uh, which I know for the, the stoic, it's the knowledge of connections to customer and the wisdom to use it for the leverage that you need to to keep yeah. moving forward. One of the questions. Talks, where we, we, sorry, sorry, Chris, it, it takes skill, though, to to talk to customers, to ask the open ended questions, to ask the why, 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 those sorts of things. 
and not just talk to the customer at the start of a project. You need to be talking to them during the project as you've developed a proposition, as you've created an MVP, as you've created, as you want to go and do a pilot. You need to be talking to customers at all those junctions because ultimately it's going to improve your proposition. Um, even working out what tests you're going to create throughout the process is really important. And hey, if you're trying to sell something, you're trying to increase your market share, if you're trying to find a new uh, um, opportunity, ultimately you need to speak with your customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just on that thought that you've got there um, from customers and you said about increasing your opportunity in market or grow, um, looping all the way back to something you said at the beginning about engaging with a, uh, an executive um, to understand the strategy, you know, uh, and unless they've got rocks in their head, any senior executive surely is going to have a, a desire for um, for growth or, or or consolidation, and both of those things can um, require um, innovation, right? Um, how how rich does the um, does their knowledge have to be, um, or, or their um, their strategy have to be on? We require innovation before they should start engaging with a, uh, an internal innovation department or someone like you with Tomorrow Strategy Co. Like, you, you know, like what, what's your advice there um, for them? Because they, you know, consolidation growth, whatever, the, whatever there is, yeah. their their, yeah. their their strategy is. Like, what, what's your thinking at that point? I'm so glad you asked about strategy and company strategy because um, we've spoken a lot about innovation and love it, passionate about it, but I'm also very passionate about getting the company strategy right. Um, and unfortunately, Australian companies do a, look at their company strategy once a year and they do a business plan and then they put present it to the board and the board ticks it off and then they forget about it. And everyone else in the organisation goes, I don't know what the company strategy is. I don't know how my role relates to the company strategy. I don't know when I create my marketing strategy, how it links to the company strategy. So my challenge to Australian organisations is, how do you look at your company strategy? How do you evolve it? How do you make it social? Strategy is, is social these days. You need to engage your internal stakeholders about how are we looking at making the right choices? Where are we going to play? How are we going to play? And what are our capabilities to play in that space? galvanizing your teams behind that strategy to put their resources, their energy and their focus behind that company strategy. Then they can start to create their marketing strategy, their sales strategy and those sort of things. Um, yes, it's overused the word strategy. Um, I, can't, I remember one lady saying, I've got a strategic strategy that I'm going to strategize on. I was like, that is buzzword, <laughs> gone crazy. Um, oh, yeah. but, but again, if you, if you get some executives these days who just do it once a year and then forget about it, that's not strategy. Strategy needs to evolve. It needs to be something that is looked at on an ongoing basis, not just once a year around business planning time. Get rid of that, start to think about it as an ongoing process, start to think about it as strategy needs to be discovered. We need to discover what our uh, opportunities are within this organisation. We need to make the right choices to focus on this and not that. We need to use our resources and skills to go after this market. And then that's where the innovation can come in and really start to develop the propositions that can actually allow the organisations to win and grow in that space. I mean, there's so many things that you're triggering for me here. I really <laughs> like it, uh, Dan. I really like 
discover strategy. I really like strategy as social. I really like bringing it to life through innovation. I really like energizing culture and I really like galvanizing team. Oh man. I mean, why, why have you, why have you gone down this path by yourself? Why, why tomorrow strategy co and then, you know, like what, what's your thinking there? So you actually asked me this when we very first met, what, what am I doing? Mm. Where, where, where am I taking my career? And um, I've been privileged to have some great jobs and great roles in organisations, big and small and those sort of things. But unfortunately, the bigger organisations um, outsource strategy to BCG, Deloitte, those sort of things. The startups mm. have got energy and got passion and they've got a great idea. But that mid-market customer base, that mid-market company within Australia that have already got a market share, already doing really well, but don't know how to grow. They don't necessarily have the funds to in, engage and um, employ the bigger consultancies. They don't maybe have the budget to have a head of strategy or a head of innovation. So Tomorrow Strategy Co focuses on the mid-market of Australia, um, 20 plus employees, of anywhere from eight to ten million dollars in revenue and beyond, up to a couple hundred million dollars. It's a big market share within the Australian market. There's lots of companies that play in that space, uh -huh. but they still need to be thinking about their company strategy. How can they improve? How can they grow? How can they make the right choices? Um, and so that's why that's what I'm all about. I'm all about trying to help these companies grow, innovate, improve. Um, and become great companies. And I think there's a real opportunity within the marketplace for those organisations um, to do that. And hopefully I can help them. Um, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. I like it again, well, it links back to one of, uh, of the other themes that um, I talked about earlier, which is good to great, Jim Collins. You know, there's some good companies, but they could be great companies. And and uh, in fact, one of the examples he cites in, in that book is, um, I think it's 3M and their, their innovation agenda um, as they as they were before they had um, post-it notes and sandpaper and all those other things going from a good company to a great company. So I think it's a, uh, it's a, um, man, I think you're, you're spot on. One of the, one of the things I, I enjoyed about, you know, these the, the pre-conversations we had about this, I was like, well, how are you going about this? And uh, and he said to me along the lines of, well, exactly as I would do it in a uh, in an, in Tal or everywhere else I've been by engaging with the customers and by having conversations with them and understanding. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I'm staying um, true. I'm staying true to what I'm preaching. I went and spoke mm. to um, not quite a hundred, um, although I rounded it up a little bit. So I, I spoke to a lot of directors, company owners, um, founders, and said. What are your biggest problems? What are your biggest challenges? So I, I empathise with them. And they all, a vast majority said, I don't know how to get what's in my head out. If you can help me get all the information out of my head, you will help me to articulate and discover a strategy. I've got it in my head. My team kind of know where we're going, but they don't quite know where we're going. Um, if you can help me get it out of my head, that would be amazing. And then we'll go about discovering this strategy for the company. We'll go and refine it. We'll go and engage our, our team on what it could be and what, what we could make it. Um, and so I went and spoke to lots of lots of people and, and they told me that that was one of the big things. The other one was I've already referenced around they can't necessarily afford to have an internal head of strategy. 
maybe mm-hmm. they can have a mid-market consultant that can come in and help them. So. Mm-hmm. I love it. Is there a dream segment for you to work with? I mean, you've mentioned mid-market. I acknowledge the 10 million and up. I acknowledge mid-tier. I acknowledge, you know, they probably don't want the BCGs or the Accentures yeah. or McKinsey's or whatnot. Um, I, I have a, a second thought around that. But but is there a dream segment for you? I mean, I, I, my other research led me to realise that um, directors and, and founders and, and uh, company owners within that mid-market suffer from a, a bit of, they get nervous, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to focus their energies, they're so busy in the business they don't necessarily think about the business. So um, I'm looking for, you know, those sorts of companies that want help, need help, are brave and want to be brave to discover a new strategy, but then also want to back it and actually want to you know follow through on on finding that new opportunities and those sorts of things. So um, I'm, I'm trying to be industry agnostic. You know, I've come from financial services, but even you know we haven't even touched on the fact that I worked for Samsung Electronics for five years, uh, both mm-hmm. in Australia and also did a, a one-year stint in South Korea where I got exposed to a global brand working in their global marketing and innovation center. And that was just the most amazing year of my life from a career perspective, a mm-hmm. career perspective in South Korea. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. my wife didn't like, like the experience, so we didn't stay longer than a year. Um, but it allowed mm-hmm. me to see what brands can do when they really focus their energies on a certain product mm-hmm. or market. Mm-hmm. What was the, um, the major revelation for you in that one year in um, South Korea in relation to Samsung's um, commitment to innovation? That they really focus their energies on new products and services and they, they use their brand to scale. So at the time, uh, they, were, they were going into some new products and, and services, but they just literally doubled down and tripled down on those products. And um, it was an amazing time to see how a brand galvanizes behind a strategy and they just go 110% behind it. And then they put all of their marketing budget behind it. They put all of their research and development behind a certain product. And um, yeah, it was very powerful to see that. Um, and I was an Australian living in South Korea, um, working with you know, their head office and, and it was a great experience to see when focus comes um, you know, great things can actually happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Um, it makes me want to ask you, Dan, maybe off air or on there, what advice you'd give me on um, use use brand to scale? Obviously, as an organisation, we've invested uh, a fair amount in our, our brand work, and scale is going okay. Would I want ten times what I've got now? Of course, I would, yeah. and not from an egocentric or even a, 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 a monetary point of view it's more i i believe that we can create a, a good home for technologists for engineers people you know an environment that's um, experimental but also safe at yeah. the same time uh, you know i'm interested if you had any um, observations about our business and our brand and the way we do but you know and so now well, you can you can think on it again not wanting to put you on the spot um i've definitely got ideas and and um I spoke to a lady recently who she's got a brand agency. She's doing really well. She said, what else could I be doing Dan?" I said, well, hey, you talk to companies about backing their, their ventures and those sort of things. What about doing your own venture? And so maybe when I think about Thunder Labs, what is it that you could be doing that actually shows that you can develop something yourself and scale that? So 
hey, I'm not, I might need to, we might need to um, you know, debate that or discuss that a little bit more. Maybe we might need to discover what that could become. Um, mm. But does that mean that could be your own venture, you know, outside of what you're doing with other companies and brands? I do like that, and it's a um, uh, some of my engineers are against um, product that you um, you know you create something for an organization bespoke and then white label and sell it because you lose the um, some of them not all of them because you lose the um, the, um, the the reason for building the bespoke product in the first place if you're trying to build yeah. it so you can sell it to everybody else. Um, and others would say, well, the Thunder Labs in itself is the venture and therefore why another. Right. However, I do see your point and it's well made. Um, I will gladly take you up on a challenge. Um, <laughs> and I reckon some of my engineers would too. It's fascinating because, there's the, you know, everybody, no, I'm going to say that about almost everybody um, in, in the team that um, I, I presented to a customer yesterday had founded an engineering business or a, a crypto business of some sort or, or something. And the team that we put in front of this CIO was insane. And I was sitting back looking at it going, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable founders um, of, of their own things now doing yeah. bits and pieces through us. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually finding with all of that brain power, hard to sit them down and go, okay, what, <laughs> what would what would we do, you know? Yeah. And so that your point is is received and well made. And um, even if I just take this sound segment and send it through to my uh, to to some of those people uh, for inspiration, yes. Dan, I, I might do that. Um, a, a question you made me think. You mentioned about McKinsey's, BCG's, all, all those firms, and you know, and the, there's a reason that they do what they do very well. I think it's a bit mother, a bit false when I hear sometimes people say that that, that strategy at one end is hard to then connect to practical action because they've got swags of very talented people. But mm -hmm. I do sometimes feel the richness of translating a strategic academic document. But academic's not fair, you know, insert the right words. Anybody who's listening to this, because I know you're yeah. smart people. Um, how how do you go from having a conversation with a, uh, an executive, the CEO of a business and come up with, you know, discover a strategy using your word, but then make sure it actually comes to life? Um, I want, and maybe this is the last question because I noticed we're on the hour, um, but, but what do they need to do to make sure it doesn't just become... Um, you know, a, an annually reviewed document or an invest or money they spend that then doesn't yield the return on that investment. Like what, what advice do you have there? The first advice would be don't think that just one person can do it. It needs to be a collective. It needs to have real diverse thought process through through that. Um, discovering it requires you to bring other people into that process. Um, amazing how we always think strategy comes top down. Well, why can't it come bottom up? And yes, you need a team to, to bring it together, but there's no reason why other parts of a business can't help with the company strategy because you never know what the engineering on level, level four might have um, or a team over in the marketing department or the operations department that see an opportunity for the company. Um, so bringing that diverse thought, discovering the strategy is really important. Um, but then also, you know, it's not just set and forget. Again, I've referenced the, the part where unfortunately, Australian businesses are creating it, 
what they think is their strategy, putting it into a business plan, getting the board to sign it off and then forgetting about it. Well, it needs to bring into the mix. It needs to be cascaded throughout the organisation. Um, their parts of their individual roles need to link to how it's connecting to the, the overarching company strategy. So um, I think it's, it's not easy. Again, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes real process to go through, um, but it also it needs to be fun and it needs to be exciting. Like, why can't strategy be fun? Um, and, and you reference some of the bigger consulting firms, they, you know, without um, disclosing what they do or what I think they do is that they look historical. They look at numbers and the past. I'm saying strategy should be looking forward. We should be looking forward to where we want to take the companies and how do we get there? Because that's what strategy is. We've got an ambition for going somewhere. We've got an ambition to win in this space. How do we create a strategy that's going to get us there? How do we galvanize and bring all of our capabilities and experience and skill sets to get to that place in time, to win in that market, to create that that new space or within that, that that area that we believe the business can go and then and then back it and then really commit to going after it. Um, and so ultimately that requires ongoing review, not just in January or in June after, just before uh, tax time and those sorts of things. It requires an ongoing review um, and, and potentially you might need to evolve the strategy as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. On that note, um, for those organisations that want to back themselves and discover a strategy as a collective, not just create a strategy, make a business plan, have it signed off by the board and then forget about it for a year, not those firms, but the ones who want to back themselves. How do they go about finding you, Dan? What's the, uh, the business details? Uh, so tomorrowstrategy.co is the website. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out. Talk to Thunder Labs. We're, we're looking to partner and work together on some, some new initiatives coming up. So, yeah, more than happy to, to come in and have a conversation, um, provide some feedback. You know, I'm very, very open to the opportunities. Um, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated.